You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Good morning, everyone. Um, We're finally finishing a study of parables, and this is the final parable to be looked at. Uh, the parable of the ten virgins. You'll find it in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, which I am going to read. I think it's 973 in the church Bibles, but that's my memory. 994. My memory's really bad. I hope, hope the sermon uh, doesn't suffer from the same problem. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. I didn't realize that I was volunteering for this particular parable when I volunteered for this particular Sunday because it's the only Sunday I was going to be in the, in the whole uh, series, as it were. And you can imagine that uh, it's not one I would have chosen for myself. I'd far rather have like the Good Samaritan or, or you know, one that is not quite so scary because this is a somber parable. And it's meant to solemnize us in, in our thinking about Jesus' return. The message of the parable is, is dead simple. It's, it's at verse 13. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. And he's picking up from what he's just said twice already. Uh, Jesus just said in chapter 24, 36. No one knows about that day or hour not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Or in verse 42, again, he says, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. So the time of the Lord's coming is unknown, and uh, even the Son in his humble uh, submission did not know the day um, that, or the hour that his coming would be. So I think somebody recently in the news has been predicting that the Lord's going to come in September. 
I'll see you in October. People have been predicting that, uh, something like that, for, for centuries. And uh, they climb up to the top of the hill uh, outside the village to meet with the Lord and then climb back down again the next day, uh, humbled because their predictions were slightly out. We take the scripture seriously. We do not know the day or the hour when Jesus will return. And therefore, Jesus says, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. This is one of the kingdom parables. Um, it begins with, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Um, and there are a number of other parables like that parable, kingdom parables. Up until this moment in time when Jesus came, history has been progressing towards the kingdom like a, like a straight path going towards the edge of a cliff. This is not my analogy. It's somebody else's analogy. Up until that point, Jesus said, when he came, the kingdom of heaven was at hand, and he's right on the edge of the cliff. History has reached the point, that point there with the coming of Jesus and his kingdom. And we see in Matthew's gospel the signs of the kingdom. The king is here, and illness uh, is defeated before him, all kinds of diseases and infirmities. Matthew is very clear on that, and, and throughout the gospel uh, gives examples of all different kinds of illness and infirmity that Jesus Christ the King has healed. The evil one and all his works are defeated and cast out and, and knocked down, and Matthew gives examples of that, both in Jesus' temptation at the start of his ministry and then uh, as that is worked upon, as it were, or outworked all the way through the gospel. The king is here, and the kingdom has arrived. And Jesus is telling parables of the kingdom uh, throughout Matthew's gospel. And ever since that time, history has not been going straight towards the kingdom. History has turned along the side, the side or the edge of that cliff face. The kingdom is just over the cliff, one step away, but history has been going along the edge of that cliff face. And the kingdom, says Jesus, is that close, that near. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. So, two simple questions. Why should we keep watch uh, for the coming of Christ? And how do we do that? Well, why we do that? Because the coming is unexpected, decisive, and final. It's unexpected. It will come at a time when you are unaware. Um, a moment will catch you unawares, says Jesus. Everybody will be caught unawares. There are no predictions that can give us the date, the hour, the time, despite, um, as I said earlier, despite many people even thinking that they've figured it out this year in September. It will come uh, when he said... This ten were fast asleep. Um, now, there's no blame given to the ten for falling asleep. You can't stay alert, as it were, uh, all the time. And we can't be always thinking about the coming of Jesus. Otherwise, we wouldn't have any time to think about other good things that we're told to do in the kingdom. Um, there, it's okay to sleep, providing you're ready, providing you've got your oil in the jar. Um, and not putting off the important decisions and the important actions that are required uh, 
to be ready for Jesus to return. Sleep is not a blame uh, in, in this uh, parable. I know some Puritan writers consider sleep to be an evil thing. It's the, it's the prelude of death. It's, the, it's the, op, the kind of friend of death, and it's the sign of death. A, a little death they call sleep, and therefore sleep was something you fought against and uh, did without um, I don't think that's the case here that is an evil thing. I think it's a natural thing in the parable, and Jesus is not blaming them for falling asleep. They can't remain active and alert all the time. That's one of the reasons why it's unexpected, the coming of Jesus. It will come as a surprise, a great surprise, for some a shock and dismay as it was for the five that were foolish. For all their lack of preparation was then laid open for all to see. And for some it will come as the glad surprise. Uh, The wise took the oil in their jars along with the lamp. And when the cry came, here's the bridegroom, they all woke up, trimmed their lamps, and were ready to go in the five wise. For some, the coming of Jesus will be a shock and dismay. All our lack of preparation then will, become, will come to light. And for many, the coming of Jesus will be gladness and joy, the entering into the wedding banquet with the bridegroom, uh, the, the time of unimaginable happiness coming upon us. I don't know how many of you like surprises, Uh, some do. Some hate surprises, even good ones. Well, get used to it because there's going to be one great big surprise when Jesus comes back. We need to keep watch because the time will be unexpected. We need to keep watch because the time will be decisive in that when that time comes, everything will be decided finally. The wise and faithful will be separated from the foolish and unfaithful. We live in in a time and age that that, uh, gives people more chances um, and tries to take away from actions their consequences and tries to mitigate all the consequences that there might be to foolish actions. But when Jesus comes, there will be a decisive uh, distinction made between the foolish and the wise. Up to this point, they're undistinguishable. They walk around together, and you would not know who were the wise and who were the foolish to look at them up until the point of Christ's coming. And many people are indistinguishable in the fellowship from the wise, many fools who um, are putting off the time of decision, who are risking, dancing on the edge of that cliff, waiting for the kingdom to come in, and when it comes, will not realize just what a shock that will be. There will be a decision when he comes, and there will be a right and a left. There will be those who go into 
unexpected and uncountable and unimaginable joy and those who go into the opposite unexpected and uncountable and unimaginable sorrow and pain. The coming of Jesus will be a decisive event in all our lives. Jesus says, therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. And it will be a final event. They came up to the banquet and there's that solemn word, the day, the door was shut. No longer open. No longer a chance to go in. The chance was passed. As I said earlier, one more chance we give people. We say there's still yet another chance and we'll still try and... Um, mitigate the consequences of your actions and try, try and help you to get over that. But there'll come a time when our actions will have a final consequence and our deeds will have their true comeuppance. And the day and the night, the light will, will open before all people the secret thoughts of our hearts. And we'll know then. And there'll be no more chances Judgment will be made. Time's arrow flies one way, says the wise man. The exam time has come, and all you're putting off studying is now going to come to light. The divorce settlement is now finalized, and all those promises to change, which never came about, finally come to their consequence in the split up or the emphysema that you didn't think about when you smoked 60 cigarettes a day has come upon you with a final consequence it's not going to be cured it's just going to have to be lived with or that heart attack or high blood pressure because you loved the cakes and pies too much has come upon you I don't know if uh, you're sorry for the five foolish uh, virgins. Sorry that uh, the wise one wouldn't share some of their oil with them. They had the same opportunities that the, the wise had. They had the same opportunity to prepare. They didn't need to go at the last minute to the place where oil is sold even at midnight, it seemingly you could still buy oil in those days. 24-7 Tesco's was available. Uh, just go down the aisle and you'll get your all different kinds of oil. But, oh, wait a minute, no lamp oil today. I'll need to go to Aldi's. Oh, right, okay. Um, so they went round all the different places you might have to go round to get it. And at long last, they, they got it. But they were too late. The door was closed. The time and opportunity had passed. I sometimes, I sometimes feel sorry for them. But it's a solemn reminder to us today that there's no such thing as a second-hand religion. You have to be each one yourself responsible before Christ for your decisions, for your obedience 
for your love for him. God, someone said, has no grandchildren, only children. You can't say to Jesus, well, my father, he, he believed, or my brother, they believed, therefore, should I not come in under their help? Can, the, can their faith not save me? And Jesus will say, no, I only have children, no grandchildren. Godliness is not a virtue that can be transferred. You cannot give the oil of your godliness to somebody else. It's something that is there that you have developed that under grace and under Jesus, Jesus Christ. It is not a quality that you can say, well, here you go, take some of mine or take some of my faith. There is a finality when Christ come, comes and then our love and our faith and our godliness will be revealed for what it truly is. No more hiding. So his coming is unexpected and decisive and final. That's why we need to watch, for we do not know the day or the hour. And it's a solemnizing thing. Well, it should be. It's certainly uh, spoilt my week um, preparing for this, I can tell you. Well, it didn't, it didn't. So how are we to keep watch? Well, Jesus, in the Gospels, there's another place where wise and foolish uh, people meet together and where the same interchange takes place that took place here. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. And back in Matthew chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, is the same kind of interchange going between the Lord and the Lord's people and those who were among the Lord's people, who thought they were the Lord's people, but hadn't truly prepared. Matthew seven twenty one, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And Jesus goes on to say, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. How is Jesus saying to people to prepare themselves for that interchange, that conversation that's going to take place at the entrance point to the kingdom. When we finally fall over the edge of the cliff and the kingdom has come, Jesus is here. And Jesus says there's wise and foolish. And the wise people are those who hear my word and put it into practice. There are some who hear the word and don't put it into practice. There are wise and foolish in 
Matthew chapter 7, and they're wise and foolish in Matthew chapter 25. And so how do we prepare? We prepare by listening to his word, particularly the word of the kingdom. The kingdom has come. Repent and believe the good news. Turn aside from your sins. Don't harbor them thinking, well, tomorrow I'll repent of this particular sin. Tomorrow's long enough. Well, you don't know that tomorrow is long enough. That's the point, isn't it? Tomorrow might be too late. Repent, turn aside, and turn to Christ. Don't be putting off the time when you become his friend and he starts to know you and you start to know him. Don't say to yourself, well, there's plenty of time. I'm young yet. There's still some things I'm going to hang on to, some darling sins that I can't repent of. I'll hang on to them and maybe, maybe tomorrow I'll, I'll, I'll depart from them. The wise and the foolish. In Proverbs, the wise and the foolish are, co- are contrasted again and again. And one of the set of fools in the book of Proverbs, one set of fools, are the sluggards. And they come up with all sorts of uh, excuses for why they don't do the work that's needing to be done. And Solomon says to them, go to the ant, you sluggard. Look at how the ant works, how it stores up food for itself and works really hard. Or he sarcastically and scathingly says, the sluggard says, I'm not going out to work this morning because there may be a lion in the streets and I might get eaten up. Time for more snooze. Or he says, the sluggards, they're they're like a, a, a door on their bed swinging over from side to side. They just can't get up. A little folding of the hands, a little lying down of the head, and poverty comes upon you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. Now, there are people who are sluggards in spiritual issues. And Jesus is warning these foolish people not to be foolish, not to make excuses for your lack of faith and commitment and say, well, theirs is okay. I can coast when I've got people like them in the fellowship who are following Christ. It doesn't matter quite so much for me. Don't make these foolish excuses. The lion isn't in the street and people can see through that. And on the, on the day when he comes and reveals all things, you will be ashamed for the folly of your excuses for putting off the time when you turn to him. Don't put off the time. Don't be a fool, says Jesus. But for his friends, it will be a solemn time for his friends. But, you know, in solemnity, there is room for joy. And there is such a thing as a solemn joy that is solid, lasting, deep, and truly meaningful. A joy that is unlike any other kind of joy. And Jesus is inviting us, not just scaring us to repent, but he is inviting us because he says there is a banquet. Food, the symbol of rejoicing, feasting, the place where joy takes place, the symbol of unimaginable joy. And Jesus says, look, when the bridegroom comes, 
He will be so pleased and so glad to say, I know you. Sorry, if I was pointing at you, I didn't mean to point that out. I know you, that point at the door there. I know you, I know you. Come in, come into inexpressible and unimaginable joy, unspeakable and full of glory. So, how do we get ready for his coming? Well, are you friends with Jesus? Do you speak to him throughout the day? Not praying all the time, because sometimes we have to give our mind to other things and we can't consciously be praying all the time. But when you have an idle moment, where do your thoughts drift towards? Is it football? Is it food? Is it Facebook? I've got all the F's. Notice I must be a preacher. What is it? Your what is your idle thinking? What what does that go to? Or does it go? Do your thoughts go to Jesus? Lord, I want to do this with you today. Here's a movie I want to go to, and I want you to be with me, Lord, because if you're not going to come with me, I'm not, I'm not going to go there. Lord, we're going to have this meal later on tonight with guests coming in. Lord, I want you to be the unseen guest there. This kind of conversation, and yours will be different to mine, uh, but it will be real and vital and powerful and the best of all preparations for that unexpected day. If you knew the day that the housebreaker was coming, you would have stayed up and been awake. I um, was brought up on a farm, and we had a regular visitor one summer who would take away one of our hens, Mr. Reynard himself. And I stayed up one night uh, with the shotgun just to give him a wee surprise um, but I fell asleep and I was woken with the sound of the hens uh, breathing out her last and the rest of them clucking away nervously so the next night I decided to sleep but get up very very early and uh, uh, I had all my pajamas on and I had the shotgun ready and when I heard the noise of the hens I was out and I gave that fox a great surprise, but uh, sadly for me, my uh, string on my pajama bottoms was very slack, and uh, I made a right fool of myself. Gladly, it was five o'clock in the morning, and uh, nobody was around. <laughs> oh, the coming may be embarrassing for us, a real embarrassment, but don't let it be that so. May it be a time of gladness when the Lord comes and meets with us. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.